Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some are not, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories to tell. We're talking today with Valerie Leffler. She's the CEO of Liberty Mobility, now Incorporated. It's an Uber-like service for rural America that works together with other transportation services. We'll be learning more about that. First of all, Valerie, you've been doing a lot of traveling with uh, this new company and the new project. But before we get into that, let's stage set for some of our listeners that uh, may be listening from an urban area or a suburban area where transportation still is an issue, but it has different faces than it does in the rural parts of the country. So stage step for us, tell us what are some of the problems with transportation in in a rural environment? Sure. Well, there's a lot of different variations as you go across the the country and you look at the rural community. So first of all, if you look at the market size, there's roughly 60 million individuals who live in rural and small urban communities. And so, you know, that's a pretty large percent of the population. And according to the American Society of Civil Engineers report card, only 14% of those households even have access to any type of public transportation. And so, you know, for example, many times a small public transportation system will serve at the city, but they aren't able to go out into the county. And so there's a lot of challenges in particular for seniors who want to stay and age in place and live in their homes um, and, you know, get to get to the point where, you know, you don't feel safe driving or they're not safe to drive. And then the parent or the child has to come in and take away the keys from mom and dad. And that becomes a, a major issue. Many times you have folks flying in from, you know, the West Coast or the East Coast into the Central Corridor just to provide transportation for mom or dad to go to the doctor on a regular basis. So so there's a lot of adult caregiver um, challenges for, for individuals, both at the working professional level, but also for the senior level. Um, and then making sure that seniors have a um, good quality of life because isolation is one of the major challenges for individuals living at home without access to any type of transportation in rural communities. And um, so... When you look at what does public transportation for that 14% look like? So there are some fantastic communities, like here in Athens, you have a wonderful infrastructure um, of the various transportation options in place, but 
it is definitely an exception to the norm. Um, many cases, there will be transportation in a town or community, but it's demand response. You have to call three days in advance. It's not available on nights and weekends. And, you know, if you can think about that scenario, if I get sick on a Friday, the soonest I'm calling the, the um, doctors on Monday, the soonest I'm going to get to the hospital was Wednesday. And if I was sick Friday night, that's the difference between going to an express care clinic and getting antibiotics and being admitted for pneumonia. And so access to care and rides to wellness is a major, major challenge in rural communities for not only seniors, but veterans of all ages, individuals with special needs and disabilities, um, and and just, you know, the car breaks down or um, immigrants who've moved here and don't have a driver's license yet. So a lot of, of challenges in this marketplace um, to help support this infrastructure. There are also, if I'm not mistaken, work challenges. People who uh, are willing to work, uh, have skills that are, are marketable, even have jobs available, but it's getting to and from on that daily basis, on a dependable basis becomes problematic. And then we get into absenteeism, and then we get into loss of employment. Have I characterized it accurately? Definitely. So for example, next week, we're going to uh, Northwest Arkansas. And this is also where Bentonville, um, the city of Bentonville is where Walmart's headquarters is. Uh, challenges for them for, you know, the, some of their staff is getting to work for their CEOs and executives because they're flying here from other countries. And so being able to get to work and affordably when you don't have a driver's license and an executive, you're getting on a bus two and a half hours before you have to be there. That That's a major challenge. But in addition to that, that corridor, of the United States in that particular county, three county region is the chicken processing plant of the United States. Um, so Tyson and I believe Pilgrim's Pride and a couple other um, um, processing plants have massive challenges finding transportation for its workforce, particularly for the third shift. And so we're with working with the Ozark Transit Facility and those public-private partners, trying to look at possible solutions of implementing liberty to help provide transportation for individuals at work. Um, and that can be led by the employee by requesting the trip via their own phone or in our, car, in our call center, or perhaps the employer would arrange that transportation on behalf of that work member. So let's shift now and talk about Liberty Mobility Now Incorporated. You have uh, received just a, a ton of, of media, both uh, electronic as, as well as online, uh, the Silicon Prairie News. But most importantly, back on July 14th, I believe it was, of this last year, a major piece in The Atlantic. So if uh, listeners out there want to read more about it, uh, go to theatlantic.com and look at the July 14th uh, article called Uber But for Rural Nebraska, and it sort of gives a snapshot of this company. Talk to us how you got the idea for this. How did it uh, generate? 
And germinate, I should say. <laughs> no. So um, before I started working in the public transportation realm, I was a research manager at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and managed multidisciplinary transportation research, uh, really on the cutting edge with, with special emphasis on freight and logistics. And so part of my job was managing the bean counting and the paperwork and so on and so forth, but also part of it was that outreach. And so I got to go into, you know, for example, uh, Union Pacific, you know, Bailey um, switching yard and see how they manage their trains and how the logistics work on there, but also go out to go into their operations center and see how they manage literally every mile of the track from one room in Omaha, Nebraska, to working with Warner Enterprises and how globally they can monitor their truck traffic and even know how many times a truck is breaking in China from one room. And so I really got to see these really efficient models of logistics and supply chain management um, as as a, as a, on that kind of cutting edge research section. And then um, once I was, you know, kind of got my fill of doing transportation research management, wanted to go closer towards the, um, the public and uh, started working at the University of Nebraska-Omaha. And with that opportunity, received a grant from the Nebraska Department of Roads to help improve public transportation, uh, compliance with regulations, business process improvement, things like that. And at the, and we really had a fantastic opportunity to work with 63 public transportation providers across the state of Nebraska and another 100 or so nonprofits who also help provide transportation like Good Samaritan, um, Goodwill, uh, various agencies, Martin Luther Home, things like that. Um, and and as part of what we were doing was basically Title VI compliance and helping them get their policies and procedures. And that's basically making sure that the individuals in the community reflect the people on the bus. So for example, if your population is 20% Hispanic, potentially your rider should be 20% Hispanic. And so in going through creating these policies and guides and manuals and so on and so forth, understood the unique challenges that these transit managers are facing and also the pain and suffering of the clients and, and the things that are needed, but there's just simply no way to make it work. You know, these county commissioners are saying, do I replace the bridge or do I provide money for grandma to get to the doctor on the public transportation? And that's literally, you know, these county budgets are strapped. And so it's a real challenge. And I said, you know, okay, well then, I'm looking at it from the high level from the state and the federal regs and, and what's available for funding and opportunities. And then I'm looking at the state and I'm saying, oh my, you know, and then I'm looking at the county and you're able to see the money flow. And you can see where all these pockets can be plugged in and different ways that you can optimize resources through those same methods used in supply chain logistics by Union Pacific, Warner, things like that. And so I said, you know, maybe this Uber model has something to it because we're sending buses, you know, 12, 24 passenger buses that, you know, that don't necessarily have the best fuel economy out on these roads. And because you can only get so many people from in one county to right. another, you know, said, well, it doesn't make any sense. And when you look at the dollars, it's almost $4 a mile in operating costs. Our drivers cost about a dollar a mile. And so we said we can save the community that $3 a mile and get more people more places. And also through these public-private partnerships have the opportunity to pull the trigger on more subsidies from the feds. And so my bachelor's is in business and my master's is in public administration. So this really great academic framework 
going into these situations to say, how do we optimize resources for our seniors and for our individuals with special needs and for our working public who, man, my car broke down. I'm going to miss my job. I already missed it last week because my kid was sick. Are they going to fire me? And so there's things that you see in social determinants of health where transportation is one of those key points. And it's really the underpinning of society, whether that be good flow or people flow. If you can't get from A to B, you can't survive. And, you, and it all, you know, dominoes start falling. All the goods, all the services, since we are no longer self-sufficient, uh, you have to move to mm-hmm. get to them. Uh, and, and transportation is that necessary key is what I'm hearing you say. Correct. I heard you also talk about partnerships. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you go into an area or start talking to an area not to say, okay, I'm going to come in and solve all your problems of transportation, but I'm going to help uh, be a supplement to what you have. Is, Is that your approach? That's correct. So the goal of Liberty is really about connecting communities and providing that glue that's needed in that infrastructure. And so if there is an area agency on aging that's providing that bus transportation, if there is a nonprofit that's providing a particular subset of services, that's fantastic. And what we want to do is come in and help lift those up because many, many times the individuals who are managing that transportation framework are also the activities director or they're also the city clerk. And so they don't necessarily have massive amounts of time or maybe even expertise in marketing their services so the public can take full advantage of it. So we really come in and say, okay, you know, who wants to partner with us and how can we work together? And this is where that public-private partnership, because we want to make sure we're on the same page and what do you want to achieve for your goals and how can we help support you? And then we say, where are your, where are your um, unmet needs? And that's where we deploy our drivers and our trucks and so on and so forth to really help um meet the needs of the community and connect individuals and get folks out of their homes, you know, engaging in art festivals and things like that, where before that wasn't an option because the bus didn't run after five o'clock. So break it down for us. Uh, you say this is Uber-like, mm-hmm. and and I use that term uh, as well. Describe how this works mechanically. Uh, give us an example. Sure. So, so while we love the kind of the connotation of Uber because everybody's like, oh, I get it, right? Um, we're really mo- Uber is a service, uh, if you don't know, where you can uh, call or subscribe to a car. Uh, they, they have drivers that will come get you. It's not a taxi cab, but it's a, a car or vehicle transportation from uh, one point to another. And, and you have a credit card and it's charged automatically to, to your bill. Is that an accurate description? Correct. So that's how Uber operates. And, and, and so the, the, the comparison of how we set this up. So let's say um, my name's Velma and I need a, a ride. And so what I would do is I have a couple different options. I can call our call center. In addition, I can, if I'm savvy and I, I tech savvy and I have a smartphone, I can request that ride on my smartphone. Or perhaps um, I'm not able to request that ride on myself. One of my loved ones can do that for me, or perhaps even my doctor. So we connect into the community through this advanced technology framework. So whether I book the ride, my care provider books the ride, or I you know, can use it on my smartphone, that's all an option. You can pick 
with Liberty Mobility Now as a service, you can pick to ride on the bus through our platform at the $2 rate or whatever the cheapest rate is. But I can also arrange a Liberty ride if it's after hours or it's during the day and I need to get out the door right now. Um, the Liberty ride operates very similar to Uber, but we have our drivers, while they're independent contractors, operate in that vehicle for hire space. The reason that we do that is because of the insurance, the background checks, the fingerprinting, the drug testing. The things that we do provide us also the opportunity to provide medical rides and those rides that receive those subsidies from the federal government. So compliance with those policies is baked into our business model um, and that's why those partnerships are so important. We'll be back after this message. This program is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. The Scripps faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing media environment. The Scripps College of Communication is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country and was named a Center of Excellence in Ohio in 2010. It's proud to showcase the Stephen L. Schoonover Center for Communication, the brand-new facility that opened in 2015. State-of-the-art laboratory spaces and flipped classrooms are just two of the many features in this new building. Learn more about the Scripps College of Communication at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. You talked about security in background checks. I I know security if I were getting a ride for a loved one or, or somebody infirmed or an older person would be a major concern of mine. Talk about what you do to assure people as best you can. There's never 100% assurance. But how do you assure people of of security? So there's a number of things that we do. The first thing is we look for the right people. Um, When we put out an advertisement, when we look for drivers, we're really looking for altruistic drivers who generally do this for their friends and family at no cost. They do it anyway. (laughs) Right. They're doing it anyway. Sure. And so they're saying, you know, while I love to do this and I can afford to do it for my friends and family for free, um, I can't necessarily afford to do this for my, you know, neighbor's next door's best friend. So what we do is provide a framework where we look for people with the right perspective. Many of our applicants for our drivers in Nebraska actually have medical experience, our EMTs or RNs, but they're retired or perhaps they're changing careers and they don't want the long hours. Um, So first of all, we have the right people that are doing this for the right reasons. Um, Then when you strip back into the policy, so we do the background check and that includes the um, sex offender registry and all those kind of things. But then we also do the fingerprinting and we do drug um, testing and then we also do random drug testing and we update and do scans for so if something were to change on your driving record, we're able to notify that and um, change the driver's you know access and permissions in the system. But when you start with the right people, those kind of 
um, administrative challenges become a lot less. And that's why we believe that people are really the core to our business. And our drivers are the face of our company and something that we take very, very seriously in finding the right person. Because then the piece is where it comes to the background check and those kind of things. Um, you know, become less of a headache and more of just a part of the process. Are there limitations on distance? The only limitation in the distance is the length that your driver is willing to go. So, for example, let's say I want to go 200 miles. So I might put I'll put my trip in the system and my to and from address. Let's say I want to go to the VA hospital, for example. That's a very very common number of miles many folks do have to go. So you would put in your request in your smartphone or in the call center and say I need to go from this location to this location. We would optimize to find the driver that lives closest to you, or that lives in a region closest to you that's available. They accept the trip based upon the first leg and then they get first dibs on the on the way back and so you may have a different driver on your way back than you had there based upon their availability because they may say hey well I'm going to Chillicothe I'm going to go get some groceries or I want to go see a friend while I'm in town but then I'm going to go on to so on and so forth and there may be another person dropping off another veteran but he's actually coming home so he'll that other person may bring both of you home. So there's a bit of optimization, optimization in the system when it comes to supply and demand. But we keep our prices at a dollar a mile when we launch to really make sure we respect and appreciate that long distances cost money. Um, and we can't bring up our prices and reduce the ability for folks to afford to get from A to B. Talk about uh, a, a, the regional nature of this because uh, neighboring counties don't have the service. Do you have to have a regional approach for this to work? It depends on the regulations in the state. Um, so, for example, in Nebraska, county by county, you have to apply for authority to operate. In Ohio, it's a matter of registering with the city or the county and making sure you have the necessary insurance. So in, in Ohio, for at least from my understanding, working with the policy and looking at the framework and speaking with folks at the DOT, we're not necessarily limited to county by county. We have a major focal point or a major kind of hub of operations, which um, if we're accepted or able to come into this area, that's where we would set up. And we would have kind of our hub here where our mobility manager, which is kind of like if you were to think of our stat, our um, our operations as a football team, the mobility manager is really the quarterback. They're the person who's, you know, hustling the drivers, um, f you know, doing the community engagement, working with the public, working with policymakers, so on and so forth to meet the needs of the community. And so we would operate in that core region. But let's say somebody outside of the county needed a request a ride. There's nothing that would prohibit them from requesting a ride using our service, as long as we can find a driver within that distance that wants to take them. And so if we have a lot of unmet drivers, similar to what Uber will do, if you go into a service area and you request a ride, you'll get a little pop-up on your screen that will say, let city officials in your area know you want service and you can, you know, click yeah, a button. Right. right. Yeah. So um, that's something that, you know, we anticipate monitoring and, and then going to that city or that county and working with the state or the federal funding that may be available to say, OK, how can we work a package together to make this work? Right now, we're in that early stages where we do need the cities and the counties to come and support us. We're a small woman owned business. Um, next year, we anticipated to have thirty four million dollars in revenue. So we're going from a domino lane down to going, you know, 90 miles an hour very quickly because there is so much need. There was an area agency on aging that called me um, just last week and they were sharing about one of their members that had always been advocating we need more transportation. And she um, ended up on dialysis and was at a recent public meeting just 
really saying, please, 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 we need more transportation options. I'm driving home. I don't feel safe when I'm driving home after my treatments. And unfortunately, this particular woman was on her way home and went headfirst into the back of a piece of farm equipment and lost her life. And so that area agency on aging says, we need to find a solution and we need to find it now. And so that's the the whole impetus behind Liberty Mobility now is we can go into a community and policy willing within 90 days have mobility solutions on the ground. And so when I was working with the state and the government in Nebraska, we saw that where if you want a public transportation system in place, it's a year, maybe a two years out. Oh, or longer. Oh, or yeah. longer. And that's if you have funding available. And so for us to be able to say, you have a need and we need to get Velma to the doctor, by golly, we'll work with you to make that happen as quick as humanly possible and, and as regulatory framework allows. Because we realize that you know, working public-private partnerships, you have to go in the front door of those agencies. Uber can operate illegally in environments and get away with it, but we really do appreciate and respect the need and the regulations that we are following and that we need to work with. We talked about driver security. What about vehicle security? What uh, kind of standards do you have if people are out there saying, okay, I've got a good driver, but he's driving a, a piece of junk <laughs> vehicle that's going to break down. I, I'm, I'm where I was before. Correct. So our current vehicle standards is you have to drive a vehicle year 2000 or newer, um, but it can be a sedan, it can be a Honda Fit, it can be a Ford F-150, um, it, the SUV, whatever. It really does not make a difference to us in terms of, and in some cases, if I'm going to be transporting my dog to the vet, I would need probably a larger vehicle or uh, maybe taking goods to market, to the farmer's market. Um, and or it's, a, or it's rough roads. I grew up on a dairy farm in rural Nebraska and you weren't getting out of the county if you needed to go somewhere. And if I'm on dialysis and I live on a hill, I want a truck to come pick me up. I don't want the Honda Fit. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, how, but So the vehicle is to be 2000 or newer, and then it goes through a 35-point vehicle inspection by a certified mechanic. So, you know, the, light, the lights work, the windshield wipers work, you know, and then the individual has to keep it respectively clean. So, I mean, we're not, like, necessarily worried about a rock on the floor, but, you know, you know clean the McDonald's wrappers off the back seat. You know, we that'd be great. And so... If people are wondering, I, I made reference to the Atlantic article, where are you operating successfully? Where, where would be a model program for people to look at and how would they do that? Sure. So we are actually in the very formulative stages of getting our drivers off of the ground in the panhandle of Nebraska. So we're working with public transit providers in that area with our software that connects our drivers to the bus system. And because of just the, you know, literally 15 months, this was an idea in a conference room, we've come a long way. And so we just, there's so much demand out there and so much need. We're trying to get mobilized in a position where, okay, we have our model, we have our framework, we're launching, and then we're expanding. So November 21st is when we're set to uh, bring our drivers into Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. And um, and so we've got about 40 folks ready and lined up, ready to start on that date. So our uh, so we have a gentleman who works with us who's our director of business development, former CEO of a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway. And he says you you develop, you work, you create the plan, and then you work the plan. So we believe very heavily in creating a, a good strategy and executing on it. And so, 
you know, that's what we look to do in every community we so move we into. So we ought to look to Nebraska for that's an example. That's correct. Yep. And, and you can go to our website, thisisliberty.com, and sign up for email updates. We send out updates about what we're doing and kind of meeting our drivers and some of our stories and our outcomes. And uh, two weeks ago, we were in uh, Melbourne, Australia, presenting at a World Congress event for v- autonomous vehicle technology because we aim to be the first provider of autonomous vehicle infrastructure um, and uh, opportunity in the rural market. And so we were with, visiting with auto dealers and manufacturers, Tesla and Bosch, and also Easy Mile, which is another autonomous bus technology, and said, you know, this is great, and we're going to bring this to our, our customers. You have to wonder what day it is, where you are, and what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> the time zone changes do uh, do kind of get to me after a while, but I, I work about 20-hour days, and I have two young kids. So um, I don't, sleep is a luxury for me, so I, I really don't know what day it is or time it is ever. <laughs> Last question, though. Did, did you really think that this would take off from the, from the inception? Uh, I mean, you've gone from, as you said, zero to 120 miles an hour in a heartbeat from nothing to $34 million in, in, in revenue. That's astounding. So I'm not as surprised. You know, when I was at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, doing this research, working with the Department of Roads, this, the need is unbelievable. I mean, it's, it, and it's actually crime against humanity, the amount of, of burden and challenge that individuals in rural communities with mobility needs face um, from the very, very poor to the very, very rich. You just can't get there. You just can't get there. Um, and so due to the amount of demand, particularly with access to wellness and health care, when you can take an expense that's $100 and reduce that cost to that individual or that health insurance company from 10000 to, to, to 100 there's a big return on investment for the, the medical community. Um, but, you know, we got a uh, Federal Transit Administration Small Business Innovation Research Grant in July last year to launch this. We did six months of market research, and we visited with people all across the country. And when we got done with that in February, we said, we're going to move fast because there are people literally dying on our roads because they're, they don't feel safe to drive, but they have no other choice. And so we want to help solve that. So social mission is baked into our business model as well. We've been talking to Valerie Leffler. She's the CEO of Liberty Mobility Now Incorporated, a new Uber-like service for rural America. Valerie, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum on iTunes Podcasts. Google Play or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through iTunes. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, you can direct them to me via email at hudson at ohio.edu.